Welcome everybody to our series, Tomorrowland. Some of you may just be joining us. You haven't been with us the entire series. And I want to welcome you. I just found out this past week that we have had, since March, 210,000 views on our live stream. So that is amazing. Over 30 countries and over 40 states. In fact, I found out that just recently we had a brand new person log in in Hawaii. And I am feeling compelled to actually go there and pay a pastoral call. Of course, I'll wear my mask, right? Anyway, I welcome all of you. It's so fun to have a global audience. We are part of the Lord's Church, and it's great to be with you. So if you haven't been with us, Tomorrowland is actually a sermon series out of two little letters that Paul wrote, First and Second Thessalonians. And in those letters, Paul takes some time to talk about the future, the end times. So that's what we've been looking at. Next weekend, we're going to wrap up the entire series. You don't want to miss that message. So we're going to be dealing with the whole concept of the Antichrist, or as Paul calls him, the lawless one. So hope you join us for that. I think it'll be very insightful given the days that we're living in right now. But let me catch you up in case you haven't been with us, to some of the things that we've been talking about. And of course, you can go to our website, and there you can watch the messages that have already been done. But we began by talking about what happens to believers who die. Where do they go? What is, you know, what's going on with them right now? What will it be like when they return? We talked about how we'll be transformed into these new bodies, these resurrection bodies, right? Which is very exciting. We also talked about the things that we can know about Christ's second coming and the things we don't know about Christ's second coming. And then last weekend, we took time and we talked about how to conduct our lives till Jesus calls us home through death or through his return. Now, this weekend, we're going to take up a very controversial topic there in the text. And our text is found in the second letter of Thessalonians, chapter 1. We'll be looking about the first eight or nine verses. We'll catch up to some of the other verses next weekend. But I call it a controversial topic because what we're dealing with is the whole concept of eternal judgment, judgment that takes place when Christ returns on this world. And some people get very uncomfortable about that. And I can understand. I mean, we all dread the question from our unbelieving family or friends who say to us something like, well, how can a loving God condemn people to hell? I just, I can't understand how that could possibly happen. Or maybe you yourself have thought about that as a believer. You've just wrestled with, you know, how can God, how can God do that? And, and I, you know, how can I talk to somebody about Jesus if, if that topic has to come up? Well, I want to suggest to you that maybe we think about the judgment of God in the wrong way. I want to share with you an idea of maybe a different way to think about the judgment that is to come. And it's simply stated like this. Unless there is eternal judgment, there is no good news. Unless there is eternal judgment, there is no good news. Now that sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? Because as soon as you see eternal judgment, it just feels like and sounds like bad news. So let's unpack that together and see where there could be hints of good news in all of this. And I want to start at the very top of Paul's letter to 
the Thessalonians because he starts out encouraging them. Remember, they're facing persecution and hardship and suffering, and he really wants to encourage them in their faith. So in this second letter, he says some things to them that can be said to you and to me. So I want this to encourage you as well. And here's the first word of encouragement, and that is that you belong to God. The Thessalonians belong to God, I belong to God, and you belong to God if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Look what Paul says in verse 1. He says, this letter is from Paul, Silas, and Timothy. We are writing to the church in Thessalonica to you who, here it is, to you who belong, he says, to God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that was really important for them to hear. It's important for us to hear because they were being ridiculed for their faith. They were being ridiculed for worshiping a Jesus who was crucified. To the Jews, that was like a horrible thing. Uh, to the Greeks, the idea that Jesus was crucified and resurrected again, to, you know, to them it was kind of laughable. And so these people would be kind of mocked and made fun of. And of course that happens all around the world to this very day. And maybe you have felt or are seeing more of that happen in your life, or your family, or among your friends, where Christianity, Bible-based, Christ-centered Christianity is kind of becoming mocked and, and maybe you're being made fun of or laughed at or ridiculed. What Paul is saying is simply this. He's saying, listen, don't live for the opinion of other people. Their opinions don't matter. What Paul is saying is the opinion that matters is God's opinion. What God thinks of you. And he thinks you're pretty spectacular. You belong to him. Peter says we're chosen. Paul in another place in Galatians says we have been adopted into his family. And that's all that matters. Paul goes on with more encouragement and he says to them that God's grace has bought you peace. God's grace has bought you peace. Now, I don't know about you, but when I uh, read that statement, you're probably thinking to yourself, I think you're missing something. Isn't there supposed to be an R in there? Like his grace has brought you peace. But no, I, I purposely put there his grace has bought you peace because Christ bought our peace by giving his life for us, by dying on the cross for our sins, taking our place. He became us so we could become him. Now, Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John, for instance, that the world offers a peace as well. But he says the peace that the world offers is not the kind of peace that he offers. See, the peace that the world offers is like a short fix. It does not last very long. It's not really peace at all. The world tells us, you know, you'll have peace if you buy this gadget. You'll have peace if you live in this kind of home, drive this kind of car. You'll have peace if you make this, you know, position in your company. You'll have peace if you have kids that are like this. You'll have peace if you meet this certain person. You'll have peace if you live this certain lifestyle. And when the world offers us peace, listen carefully, it always costs you something. The peace the world offers is not free. It is costly and it runs out. It usually ends up in disaster. It wears out. It doesn't work. And then there's something else that we have to have. God's peace, the peace that God offers you and God offers me, it is a peace that costs God everything because it cost him his son and he offers it to us freely because of his grace do you know that peace 
Jesus is the peace that passes understanding. It's the peace that will endure forever, that no matter what your circumstances are, you can have that because you know you are one with Christ. That's the peace that God brings to us. Paul goes on the passage and he says, here's what I'm thankful for in your life. So Paul says, I'm so thankful to God for what he's doing in your life right now. And here's what he has to say, watch. He says, dear brothers and sisters, we can't help but thank God for you because your, and look what he says, your faith is flourishing, right? And your love for one another is growing. And Paul addressed that in his first letter. In fact, we talked about some of those things last weekend in our message on how we should conduct ourselves. Paul says, I'm so thankful to God. I'm so thankful that despite all the things that are happening in your life, your faith is flourishing and your love for one another is growing. And then he adds like an extra scoop on top. Look what he says. He says, we proudly tell God's other churches about your endurance and faithfulness in all the persecutions and hardships and sufferings. So Paul's saying, look, we brag about you. I brag about you. When I meet other believers who are passing by or when I'm traveling someplace, I always talk about you guys. I talk about how you love each other. I talk about how you have this peace of God in your life, how your faith is flourishing. I talk about um, how you realize you're chosen, you belong to God, and it inspires their faith. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm feeling sorry for myself, I feel like I'm the only one going through something. But when I read or I hear about another person who's gone through the same thing or is going through the same thing but has, has a good attitude, is having victory in it, it always inspires me. It causes me to say, I can do this too. If they can do it, then I know that God can do it in me and through me as well. And so what we have here really, think about this, is kind of a recipe that Paul's giving us for how to keep each other encouraged as believers. How to keep your spouse encouraged, your kids, your grandkids, your friends, other believers. Reminding each other, hey, we belong to God. Reminding each other, God's given us this peace that, that's not based on our circumstances. It's based on what he's done for us. And, and then thanking God and pointing out to people, man, I see your faith flourishing. I see, I see this love of God in your life. And, and letting them know how you see God using them. We need that, right? We all need to hear that from each other. We're on the same team. We're on God's team. We're here to lift each other up. Paul said in another place in the book of Philippians, that's our job, to lift each other up above ourselves. And if we're all doing for that, uh, that for each other, it's an awesome thing. Now, in the next passage that we're going to look at, Paul pivots I just had to use that word because that is like the popular word right now, isn't it? Everybody's pivoting, right? Corporations are pivoting. People are pivoting. Churches are pivoting. Well, Paul pivots and he pivots towards the issue of hardship and suffering. And he talks to the believers there and he talks to us and he says, look, you're going to face hardship and suffering in this world. But understand when it's all said and done, God's going to deal with all of those who perpetrate this and all those who commit this evil. Judgment is coming. Now listen to what he says. We're going to begin here at this next verse. He says, 
And God will use this persecution to show his justice and to make you worthy of his kingdom. In other words, Paul is saying, look, I know these bad things are happening, but it's going to be an opportunity at some point at the end of the age when God demonstrates his justice. He goes on, he says, for which you are suffering. So you're all suffering for, for God, you know, for justice and for the kingdom of God. He says, in his justice, he will pay back those who persecute you. And God will provide rest for you who are being persecuted and also for us when the Lord Jesus appears from heaven. He will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. Now, when it says on those who don't know God, it's not talking about those who are living in ignorance, all right? It's talking about those who basically don't want to know God, okay? They want to go their own way. And those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul talks about those who don't know God in Romans chapter 1, Romans chapter 2. So you can read about that. God's revealed themselves and they don't want to know him, okay? He says, they will be punished with eternal destruction forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. And this word for eternal destruction does not mean annihilation, like they're annihilated. It just means they are, they are forgotten. They are, they are moved away, right, into punishment, into, into darkness. Now, I know right away what some of you are thinking to yourselves is that does not, I don't see any good news in that, Dale. I don't think your idea works. Remember the idea? The idea was that unless there is eternal judgment, there is no good news. See, how, how can there possibly be good news in any of that? So let us, uh, let's break that down together and let's, let's see where the good news is. Let's think about this differently than maybe we have been taught to or we have become used to thinking. So I have some statements I want to share with you. And the first statement is this, all right? Judgment Day is the answer to our longing for justice. That is good news. All of us long for justice. And knowing there is going to be justice brings with it a sense of good news. Now, you got to stay with me all the way through, okay? Uh, otherwise, if you just, you know, like hear that and you go, I don't know, that just doesn't make sense to me or I don't like what you just said. If you follow the context, then I think you're going to agree with me, all right? So stay with me. But this whole idea is that, that the day of judgment, eternal punishment, just justice, answers a longing in our hearts. Tim Keller says that most religions have this concept of a judgment day. Even Eastern religion does. I mean, think about the different types of Eastern religion. Most of them believe in reincarnation. And so reincarnation has this sense that, you know, at the end of life, there's a judgment that takes place. And if you have lived a better life, you may come back in a better form. Whereas if you don't, you may, be, you may come back in a lesser form. So you're always striving to get better until you hit nirvana, right? Or take Islam for, for a minute. You know, at the end of the age, Allah weighs out each person's deeds on the scale. And if the good deeds outweigh the bad deeds, you may get into paradise. It is all up to Allah. Even secularists, people who don't believe in God, who say they don't believe in God, still have an 
of an inner sense of needing justice. And so what happens is, if I don't believe in God and I don't believe in the Bible, I believe in something. I make up then rules or guidelines that I'm going to live by. And then I evaluate my life based on those things. I feel good or bad about myself that way. And I feel good or bad about you based on, do you live up to what I perceive as the rules or the culture perceives as the guidelines and rules that one ought to live up to? But all of us, all of us have this sense. Where does that come from, see? Where does that come from? It comes from our Creator. You know, all of us want to be seen, and all of us, all of us want to be judged well. There's this story in Luke chapter 21 that I love. Jesus and his disciples are in the temple, and uh, they're watching people put in their offering. And it says that Jesus saw the rich who were kind of probably making a lot of noise as they put their offerings in those uh, great big vases or jars, those clay vases and jars in the temple. And then it says that Jesus saw this poor woman who threw in just a couple of little copper coins. And he says to his disciples, he says, do you see those rich men? They're giving out of their abundance. It's no sacrifice. So they get their name on the wall. But you see that woman she threw in just a couple little copper coins. She's poor. She gave out of her poverty. Now she has truly given sacrificially. Isn't it interesting? Jesus was watching. He saw. He was aware. And he watches and he sees and he's aware of you and he's aware of me. And he sees the sacrifices we make. He sees the good deeds that we do. Nothing escapes his attention. Which then takes us to a second concept, and that is this. Judgment Day means nothing we do is forgotten. Nothing we do is forgotten. Now, let me, let me take a little time out for a moment. We're talking about eternal judgment, and in particular, that relates to unbelievers. But the Bible teaches that we as believers someday, we are going to be judged, but not for salvation. We'll be judged based on how we lived our lives because God wants to reward us. So works matter after we receive Christ. You see what I'm saying? Works doesn't save a person, but it's important to a person who is saved to honor God. And God says, I want to reward you for that. That's kind of a different message we'll do sometime. But the point is, God doesn't forget what is done. God doesn't forget what takes place. There's a guy, uh, he's a Catholic writer, and uh, uh, his, his name is Tom Howell. And he wrote a book that is entitled Chance or Dance, kind of an odd name for a book. And in his book, he talks about eternal judgment, and he says... If there is eternal judgment and a God who judges, like the God of the Bible, then everything we do in life matters. But he says, if there is no God, and we just die or the sun burns out and life is all over, then nothing means anything. Nothing matters whatsoever at all. If you really press into that, it's a real problem for secularists. Because if you truly take a Darwinian view of life, 
There are no rules. It is survival of the fittest. And you, you have no right to tell me what I can or can't do. It leads to, it truly leads to anarchy. And so, you know, we have what philosophers call the noble lie. Right? It's, well, we got to come up with some morality. We got to come up with some guidelines to live by to keep us all kind of, uh, you know, from going into chaos. And, and we'll talk more about that next, next weekend. But you see, there, there's good news in that. There's good news in that life matters. There will be judgment. There, there will be rewards. God sees all and God doesn't forget, which takes us to our next thought. And that is judgment day means we can practice forgiveness. Judgment day means we can practice forgiveness because as Christians, we know that God is going to judge evil. We don't have to play God and we don't have to play judge and jury. We are free to move on rather than becoming bitter or angry or vengeful. Remember, these people are being persecuted. And as you and I face more and more persecution, I'm convinced we're going to. It is easy for us to become angry at the system, angry at people, angry at society, and it consumes us. The root of bitterness grows up in us, and that's a no-no for us. Remember Paul said in our last letter, don't repay evil for evil. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Don't repay evil for evil. Martin Luther King Jr., I, I love that quote when he says, darkness doesn't drive out darkness, light does. Hate doesn't drive out hate, love does. Do we believe that? Are we willing to practice that? See, when Jesus was on the cross, Rather than vengeance and hate and anger toward being crucified as the Son of God after he offered his life and did so much for others on the cross, what does he cry out? Father, forgive them if they know not what they do. Why? Because forgiveness precedes repentance. It always does. And you and I, we're called to be like Jesus. And this is a hard lesson for us. It's hard for me. Those who hurt us, those who offend us, we must move and work our way towards God's grace to be able to forgive. See, I have such a hard time with that, Pastor Dale, because, because you're, in essence, asking me to forgive people for what they've done to me, and they're not sorry for it. I'm just letting them go by forgiving them. No, 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 you don't understand. Your job is to forgive. They can't experience that forgiveness if they don't repent. If they refuse to repent, you see, then they have to answer to God in the end even believers will have to face God for that bitterness that they've held. Now, it won't affect their eternal situation, but, you know, we'll have to stand before God and give an account. It's just, you know, the same thing is true when you know you've done wrong and you should go and ask somebody for forgiveness. And you go with a repentant spirit. If they refuse to forgive you, you've done all you can do and you have to leave it there. Now, they've got to answer to God for having an unforgiving spirit. The point is, we've got to do our part, and God frees us up to be able to do that. Now, let's move on. Judgment Day belongs in the hands of Jesus. As Christians, we believe this. We believe that in the end, judgment, the judgment of this world belongs in the hands of Jesus. Jesus said a lot about judgment. And I want you to listen to this passage of Scripture that's going to be read for you in Matthew chapter 25. Listen to this. But when the Son of Man 
comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at his right hand and the goats at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked, and you gave me clothing. I was sick, and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink, or a stranger and show you hospitality, or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry, and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty, and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger, and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked, and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison, and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I tell you the truth. When you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment. But the righteous will go into eternal life. So what did you think of those words, huh? Those are intense words. And that's why some people have a hard time with Jesus. They're willing to say, you know, I, I believe in a God of love, but I have a hard time with Jesus because, because he's Savior, and then he also is this, is this judge. And Tim Keller has an illustration I want to borrow, I want to adapt it a little bit, that, that kind of brings us home. Imagine that you invite me over for dinner, and you say to me, I want Dale to come over, but leave Hummel at home. It's, no, it's not going to work. I cannot separate myself. I can say, all right, the Hummel part of me is going to stay home, but Dale's going to show up. If you invite me, Dale Hummel is going to come. You cannot have Jesus the Savior and not have Jesus the judge. He is Savior and judge, Savior and Lord. And that is a big decision we all have to make. To surrender to him that way. He's the Savior. And that's why he's also the judge. But we get so focused on this judge part. Why can't we get focused on the save part? He saves us so we don't have to be judged. All right, let's move on. Judgment Day. I, I don't know, but do you see some good news emerging here? If you haven't seen it yet, stay with me. On Judgment Day, God will give people their preference. 
Judgment Day will give people their preference. In other words, we choose where we're going to spend our eternity by how we choose to respond to God. I really believe that. So I want to talk to you a little bit about apocalyptic literature in the scriptures. When we hear things like a fire that, you know, is unquenchable or maggots that don't die or gnashing of teeth or darkness or eternal punishment, those are all figurative, symbolic words. The eminent theologian N.T. Wright says that the problem with us Westerners is our concept of hell is, is, is based more on medieval art and lore than it is the scriptures themselves. So if these are figurative words, fire that's not quenched, the maggot that doesn't die, the weeping, the gnashing of teeth, eternal punishment, the darkness, lake of fire, if all of that is symbolic, what does it symbolize? Listen carefully, it symbolizes something far worse than the symbols themselves. You say, how could anything be worse than that? What is hell? Listen, hell is the absence of God. And no one has ever experienced the absence of God save one, one person. And I'll tell you about him in a little bit. But hell is the total absence of God. And all of us, whether we are believers or unbelievers, we all right now live off the presence of God, in whom all things are held together. You and I benefit from his presence. Again, Keller uses an illustration that I like. He says, imagine somebody who's walking uh, out on the field, and uh, the sun is shining, and they feel its warmth, and if they glance up, they can see, you know, the brightness of the sun there. It's keeping them alive. Now imagine somebody who lives in the depths of the earth in a cave. They don't see the sun. They can't feel its rays warming them. But they still are alive because the sun is shining up there. If the person walking in the field, all of a sudden experiences the sun burning out, it just stops. They're going to freeze to death. And the person living in the ground, in the cave, they're also going to freeze to death, even though they've never seen the sun or felt its warm rays. We all benefit, in other words. Whether we, seek or, whether we are seeking God or whether we reject God, we all benefit from God's presence. So it's hard for us to fathom what it would be like to live without his presence it is worse than a burning fire worse than maggots that won't die worse than weeping and gnashing in darkness c.s lewis wrote a book it's, it's a great read it's a short read if you haven't read it i encourage you to do so it's called the great divorce and in that book and i'll paraphrase this he has some lines and he basically says this it's very entertaining by the way and very provocative he says, in the end, there are two kinds of people. There are those who look at God and say, thy will, O God, be done. And then there are those whom God looks at in the end and says to them, thy will 
be done. There are those who choose hell and God says, go then. But those who choose joy, those who choose God like that pearl of great price, that's what they get. God and eternity with him. Keller goes on and he says something rather profound. He says, what is hell? It is God actively giving us up to what we freely, what we have freely chosen to go our own way, to be our own, the master of our fate, the captain of our soul, to get away from him and his control for eternity. That is hell. Or the great theologian J.I. Packer writes this. He says, Scripture sees hell as self-chosen. Hell appears as God's gesture of respect for human choice. All receive what they actually choose. Either be with God forever worshiping him or without God forever worshiping themselves. You only get a glimpse of what hell is like when you see people who reject God and live by their human desires and their evil passions. In the absence of God, that takes over the person. And it's almost unimaginable. You say, is that really, I mean, is that really what hell is like? Well, think about Jesus. Think about Jesus on the cross with me for a moment. You know, on the cross as Jesus is suffering, the perfect son of God, he experiences his father turning his back against him. And Jesus, here's the one I was referring to, he experiences the absence of God's presence. There was an unquenchable fire coming down, maggots on his body, demons shrieking and crawling over him. Hell was his father turning his back on him and Jesus crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was the hell that Jesus endured for you and me. Why? So that God would not have to turn his back on us. God faces us because of Jesus. And if we're willing to face him and humble ourselves, and repent of our sins and receive his gift of forgiveness. And we know we will spend an eternity with him. But if we insist on turning our back toward him and going our own way, then God will respect our choice. And we will get what we want. God out of our lives. The absence of God. You see, that ultimately is the good news of Judgment Day. The good news of Judgment Day is that Jesus took the judgment of God on himself. Jesus experienced hell for me so I can experience heaven with him. Let me ask you, which way are you facing right now? 
you facing toward God and his grace and his mercy and his love? Or have you turned your back against him? It's never too late to turn around. That's what repentance means. And to move towards God and lay your pride aside. Invite him to become Savior and Lord of your life. Would you bow your heads with me? Wherever you are right now, whatever country you're in, if you have not turned your life over to Jesus or you're unsure about it, why not today? Why not where you are in a humble and simple prayer invite Jesus into your life? Face him and humble yourself before him and say, Lord, I surrender to you. I surrender to your love. I want to spend my eternity with you. I don't want to be away from you. I don't want to go the way of this world. I want to go your way. Maybe you can pray something as simple as this. Dear Lord Jesus Christ, I want to spend my eternity with you. Forgive me my sins, God. Forgive me for being wayward. Forgive me for giving you my back. Forgive me for seeking the peace of this world. I'm done with this world. I'm done with this kingdom. I want to enter into your kingdom today. I receive your gift that costs you everything, your gift of mercy, your gift of forgiveness. I say yes to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer, right now, if you would just click on that banner that said, I said yes, we might get you in touch with somebody right away and get some really important material to you to help you begin your journey with God and with us as we journey together. If you're watching by Facebook, um, our host has sent you a link. You can click on that if you're in the chat room of our or a live uh, feed here on the broadcast. There's a place for you to also click on that link and we will be with you every step of the way. Hey, listen, I know it's not been an easy topic, judgment, but I hope you've seen there's some good news. Jesus was judged, so you don't have to be. I'll see you next weekend. God bless you.